in Jesus' holy name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Good morning. Good morning. Everybody doing well this morning? Sure. Good, good. Um, so, full disclosure, I'm not trying to be cool, and I know, um, I know uh, the other guy that's up here is against, like, electronics and things like that. <laughs> Um, but sometimes your printer doesn't work, and uh, as hard as you try to adhere to his laws of um, nothing, uh, nothing in the 20th century, um, you have to like you have to go off the rails. And so, like I am, like I, my notes are going to be on the iPad. There's also scripture that I'm going to be reading. That will also I will read from the iPad. But I promise you. It is actual scripture. You can look it up uh, in your physical Bibles, and that will placate him to some extent. Um, but uh, I'm just kind of adding to the lecture at this point that I'm going to get probably from this. So, like, I'll just just put it on my tab. Here we go. Um, let's pray, and uh, and we'll get started. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for uh, giving us a chance to uh, to take a minute and talk about your word and talk about the. Uh, the work that you do uh, in our lives and, and in the lives of, of those that we love. And God, I pray that um, that we would just be still and listen and, uh, and hear what you have for us, that, uh, that we would get out of the way of ourselves and out of the way of others, and that uh, we would just clearly see you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you will, turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 2, and we will uh, continue our, our discussion. This week we'll be in verses 10 through 18, and um, this is really kind of a continuation of, of where we were last week, and um, we kind of, you'll recall, landed um, mainly in, in verse 9, um, where it, it talks about... Uh, about Jesus and, and the work that he did, and, and then it ends with, so that the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And that's where we, you know, that's where we found ourselves last week, and, and really the, the work that, that he did on the cross, where he stood in, in place for us. And I don't know if, uh, if, you've, ever, if you've ever experienced anything like that, and, and you all probably have, like, to some extent, like, been in a situation where uh, maybe it's something simple, like, you forgot your wallet, and you're you're in a place, and, and a friend steps in and, and pays for you, right? Like there's, you're you're kind of stuck in this spot, and somebody steps up and, and pays for you, or maybe it, like maybe it's something something else. There was uh, a time where uh, I was working on the golf course, and like all of like all of those stories, they never end well, but and neither did this one. Um, but we're like we're working on the golf course and, and we're trimming trees, right? And and when a when a group comes through, you kind of stop, move to the side, let them play through, and then you resume your work. And so uh, me and another guy and this guy is he's decides he's going to work on the chainsaw while we're waiting for this group to play through. And so he's working on the chainsaw and we're standing there. We're off to the side and someone hooks one really really bad and just nails me right in the back. And um, like a like another foot higher, you're probably not looking at this face up here. And uh, so like you know, the guy apologizes and it was fine. Fortunately, like 
it was just right in the middle of my back. And at that point, I qualified as one of the guys with the strong backs and weak minds. So it was perfect, perfect, perfect place. And the, like the guy working on the chainsaw was like, well, thank God that you were there. And I was like, not for me. <laughs> like, is it work for me for you? But not like not for me. And like maybe it would be even something more significant than that. I was at a conference once and I um, I heard uh, a guy speak and and he's a pilot of a plane and he had been uh, he'd been booked one morning to go and he was supposed to go fly. He packed his bags and he went to the airport to go. He told his wife, "Hey, here's my itinerary. This is the flight I'm on." And he went, showed up at the airport, and they had like they had double booked, and it was flight ninety three. Mm-hmm. And he tells that story, and, and when he does, he said there's no clearer picture for him of what Jesus did on the cross than that, because he said that was I was supposed to be in that pilot seat, that was my seat where I was supposed to be on that day, and somebody else was there instead of me. And that's what Christ did for us. He tasted death for all of us. And so that, like, that's where we wound up last week. And, and essentially we're continuing on there of what, what Christ did for us and the work that he did for us on the cross as we walk through Hebrews and we find out about Jesus and why he is superior to everything else and why he is the ultimate and why he is God and what he did for us. So... Let's turn, and we will uh, start in, cha- in uh, verse 10 of chapter 2. We'll read through the end of the chapter, and then we'll go back and, and look at it piece by piece. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of, the, of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong suffering. For surely it is not the angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every aspect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Amen. So... We're just going to kind of walk through it verse by verse. A lot of times, and what like what they tell you is is a good thing to do is to like have a main point, kind of drive that main point home, and make everything go back to that. Well, we've got like five main points today, so like we're just going to hit them up as we go, catch them, put them in your pocket, and get ready for the next one to come. So, uh, in verse ten, we just see um, this idea of of suffering and how how he was perfected through suffering and. This suffering on the cross, like there was physical agony, and, and I'm sure that you have seen things or read things about what what Jesus went through physically on the cross, and it certainly was excruciating and, and a testament to he, who he was that he even survived 
as long as he did, even, even the beating he took to survive to make it to the cross and then the time on the cross. But, but the significance of, of his suffering here is something that, that had never happened to him and, uh, and would never happen again, and is, is that separation from God, where God had to turn away and for the first time ever, father and son were disconnected. And for those three hours when, uh, when things went dark and... A lot of times we think of, of darkness as being an abandonment of uh, like where God is gone. But the reality is like this darkness was, was God's presence, but it was God's wrath being poured out. So all of, all of your sins and my sins and all of our shortcomings put together and God pouring that out on Christ for those hours while he suffered on the cross. And that's what the suffering was. It wasn't, it wasn't merely this this physical torture that crucifixion was, but it was this separation from God and God's wrath being poured out on him that he was taking on in our place. That he tested, he tasted death so that we wouldn't have to. All of that he took on and, and was perfected, our salvation perfected through his suffering. And then verse 11, um, we see this, this idea of sanctification. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers. And sanctification is this word that gets thrown around a lot. And, and I think if, if we all would admit, like, it, it's kind of hard to grasp. And it's, it's one of those words, you know, there's purification and justification and sanctification and all the vacations. And they all, like, just kind of blend into this one thing of, like, well, it means that I can, like, I'm a better, like, I'm a better person, right? And, but we, like, we kind of, we kind of let that go, and, and if we, even if we take that on to say, like, okay, sanctification, I'm progressively being sanctified, I'm progressively being made more like God, a lot of times we take that on to ourselves, right, of, like, that's something that, that I do, that I try harder, and I work at it more, and I study more, and I pray more, and I, I listen to more sermons, and I make sure to go to church, and I, and I, like, show up for a serve day, and, and I volunteer in kids and all those things, like kind of I build in myself this sanctification. But sanctification is a process that, that Christ does in us. Because he's the one who's sanctified and he's the one that does the sanctifying. And so in, in trying to think of, of a visual for this, I um, really the only thing that I could come up with was... Uh, was something, and I don't know that it's the greatest illustration, but it's the one I have, and it's the one you're going to get. So uh, this coin that I have is a, uh, it's a silver dollar, and it was minted in 1921, which is the year that my grandfather was born. And when it was made, like, it was the same as all the other silver dollars that were being turned out. Like, it wasn't any different. It didn't have any more value. It didn't weigh any different. It didn't look any different. It was, it was made to be exactly the same. But my great-grandfather gave it to my grandfather because it was minted on the year he was born, and my grandfather gave it to my dad. And my dad carried it in his pocket every day. And so this coin at one point was set apart or sanctified as being different. And over time, through it being in my dad's pocket every day, and everywhere that my dad went, the coin went with him, 
it, it became worn in, in such a way that now if you put this coin with a thousand other coins mentioned in the same year, I could pick this coin out every single time. Because it was sanctified, it was set apart, it was made different, not because of itself, not because it had any more value than any of the other coins. It didn't do anything in and of its own, but, it, but because of who it belonged to. And you see, that's what happens to us. That's what sanctification is. God picks us up when we're dead in our trespasses and sins. He picks us up, and he makes us alive. He makes us new, and then he, through belonging to him, sanctifies us. And we become different, and we become unique, and we become more and more what he wants us to be because of the work that he does in us. Because he's the one that does the sanctifying. He's the one that sets us apart. I think too often, like, we look at ourselves as, as Christians and we go, I need to be set apart, I need to be different, so I'm going to separate myself from, from everything else and I'm going to check all these boxes to make sure that everyone knows that I'm different and I'm set apart because of all the things that I do. When the reality is, is that we just need to spend time walking with Christ every single day and that if we live our lives, we become more and more, we become worn and worn to the way that he wants us to be because he is doing the sanctifying, he is doing the work, he's setting us apart. Amen. And we become more and more like him because we're reflecting whose we are. So we, uh, we see that in Romans chapter 6, verse 22 and 23, it says this, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification at its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. That sanctifying that he brings about and that eventually leads to eternal life when, when you will be perfect, when, when you will have uh, a new body and you will be completely sanctified and, and you, will, you will then be glorified with him is the work that, that he does in our life by pulling us on where we leave sin behind and we grow closer and closer to him and more and more like him, not in and of ourselves, not because we're more valuable than anyone else or because that we are somehow different or smarter or made the right decision, but because of his grace and his love pouring out over us. Galatians 2 verse 20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So we were bought with a price, right? And his, like him giving his life for us is what starts this process. And we're, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me, who does that work. Uh, also in, in verse 11, like the, the very end of this, let's read 11 again and then through verse 13. It says, For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children God has given me. Now, I want us to, to catch this and understand what, like, what's being said here. Christ is saying that we are his brothers and sisters. The work that he did on the cross made us Jesus' brothers and sisters. Let that sink in. Because I think a lot of times we think, well, I'm like, I'm down here doing my thing and, 
and Christ took my sin onto him, and we kind of stop there. But what we need to understand, and what this verse is saying is like, not only did he take his sin and put it on us, he took who he was and put that on us. So it was, it was an exchange. So we are the sons and daughters of God because of the work that Christ did in us. That changes who you are. That changes your reality. That changes the way that, that you interact with things. If you are now, we are the brothers and sisters of Christ. We're not just only forgiven of our sin, but we are now the brothers and sisters of Christ. Uh, Romans 8, 16 and 17 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We are heirs with Christ. That is the, um, that is the true testament to who God is. That he created man and we messed it up with sin. And not only did he restore us to where we were, but he made us his children. So not only did he bring us back to a level where we were, he brought us back to a level beyond where we were. And in this, like, in this comparison, which is the context of this to angels, God is saying Christ is better than the angels because not only did he facilitate us returning to God, but he made us co-heirs with him. He made us brothers with him in that we are now placed above angels because we are co-heirs with Christ. That should change the way we see ourselves. It should change the way we interact. It should change our priorities to know that we are co-heirs with Christ. Uh, verses 14 and 15 say this, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is the devil, and deliver those who fear, whose fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. See, that's the other thing that, that didn't exist in the world before sin was fear. Because why, why are we afraid? Like the ultimate, the ultimate thing that we fear is death, right? That, that's why we, we put safety measures in place. And that's why we don't, like we don't let our kids just do whatever they want to do because we're afraid of what will happen to them. And it's why we can't just run out and, and do whatever we want because we live in this fear of death. We have this, this fear that enslaves us. And so when Christ died on the cross and then was resurrected from the dead, he conquered fear. He conquered that ultimate result of sin that then makes us free. Because without that, like without death having been conquered, we're not really free because that fear still lives there. But he conquered death for us. And so he gives us that life. He gives us eternal life. Death has been conquered. And so now no fear should exist because in its place is that realization of who we are because of the God that we serve, because of what he did on the cross. Fear and death no longer have a hold. They no longer have a place in our lives because we walk with him 
in his life because he conquered the fear that we were enslaved to. He conquered that death. Second uh, Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So that spirit of fear that enslaves us, that spirit of fear that, that man knew from the very beginning, because the, what's the first thing that happened after sin came into the world? Adam and Eve weren't sorry about it, but they were ashamed, and they went and they hid because they were now afraid of God. And so that fear that separates, that fear that causes us to run from God because we're afraid of what's going to happen because of that death that has that had then entered the world because of Satan, who is who is the the master of death, had had gotten us off kilter, and we no longer were in control of the world. But Satan, we gave that over to Satan, and that fear and that death were there, causing us to run from God. He conquered that ultimately on the cross by coming back and defeating death. So that fear no longer has a hold on us. And if you're a Christian, you don't have, that fear doesn't have that place in your life anymore. It's been replaced by power and love and self-control. Amen. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says this, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So if we're, if we're coming over to him, we don't have to be anxious anymore. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to have those worries because we can have supreme confidence in the one who conquered death and the one who gives us life. Uh, verse 17, as we continue on, says, Therefore, he had been made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And that propitiation, like all that, all that we're saying there is, uh, is a, a payment. Like he paid for our sins. He paid our way. The, the debt that we couldn't pay back and that, that we owed because of our sin, he paid. First uh, John 2, uh, verses 2 through 3 says this. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And see, it, uh, that, that part of, of sanctification, those keeping his commandments, you've got to get that on the right side of what's going on because we don't, we don't keep his commandments and because we're earning somehow what he did for us. He did for us, and so... That love for him and, and that obedience just follows by understanding who he is. Because if you understand what he did for you and you understand how much he loves you and you understand how much he wants good things for you and, and how he wants to see you succeed, not in material earthly things, but succeed in bringing glory to him, then you can then be free to completely follow him, to wholly run after him, to keep all his commandments, not from a place of obligation, but from a place of love. If uh, I don't know if you've ever um, uh, had pets, or if, if you're that like that kind of person, um, it's off. Like it's been said that people who have a dog, like the dog comes home and he's, or the dog's owner comes home and he's, the dog thinks, "Man, 
this person loves me, they play with me, they feed me, they take care of me. This person must be God. And then the same person comes home to a cat, and the cat goes, this person loves me, and they feed me, and they take care of me. I must be God. <laughs> and like, it, it, uh, <laughs> right in that scene, you know, we weren't ready, because it's late in the sermon, so you weren't ready for it. But if you like, if you've ever had a really good dog, you know that like, that dogs are, are extremely loyal and they just want to like they just want to make you happy, right? Like they just want to obey, and not because they feel like, like they're paying you back somehow for taking care of them. They don't think of it as as like, well, I've really got to earn my keep around here. They just love you. And that's the way our obedience should be. That's the way our sanctification should work. Not from a place of like, man, I've, I've really got to earn this or like, I've, I've really got to get right with God here. I've got to do some stuff to kind of balance the books. But just because you love God and just because you understand how much he loves you, that you just want to run after him and do whatever he's wanting you to do just because you love him. And then uh, verse 18 as we round out the chapter, it says this, For he, for because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so this ultimate uh, place of ending up where Christ is once again taking things on for us, coming to the world as a man and suffering the way he did, facing that temptation so that he could walk through everything with us to say, I know where you are. I know what it's like. I know how you're feeling. And I can walk through this temptation with you. And I can help you a little more every day so that it's not you doing it. But it's him and his power. And the ultimate switch of our sin going to him, his righteousness coming to us. Let's pray. And then we're going to worship some more. God, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for the way that you chose us and you set us apart. I pray that we wouldn't lose sight of that, that, that we wouldn't fall prey to fear, and that we wouldn't let death control us, but that we would understand what you did for us on the cross and how we are your brothers and sisters, that we are co-heirs with you, and that we would walk like we are, that we would constantly pursue you and what you have for us, not out of obligation and not out of a place of, of being better than or trying to earn anything, but just because we understand how much you love us and how much you want for us. God, I pray that we would trust you to conquer that death in our life and to take that fear away place it with power and strength and sound mind. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.